How do you get paid to give talks? When I decided that I wanted to give talks as a way to earn money and sell books, I began giving free talks in my village hall, nearby towns on the back of a few local newspaper and radio interviews, and schools in my area. They helped me improve as a speaker and start spreading the word about my talks. Next, I moved on to speaking for free at schools via teachers I knew, in exchange for references and recommendations of other schools to contact. I also joined Speakers for Schools to talk to classes, which was enjoyable and good practice. I improved the content of my slideshows, polishing the content and improving the design. Over time, my anecdotes improved, as did the tone and focus of my delivery. I learned to tailor my talks to different age groups and the expectations of the audience. Are they here for entertainment or to be challenged and to learn? The next phase was giving more talks at schools, but now daring myself to be so arrogant as to request £50 for my presentation. It was a big hurdle for me to believe that my story was worth money and to overcome my scruples to say, this is work, I ought to be paid for it. I sent out emails to schools seeking more bookings, gradually increasing my fee until I began meeting resistance. This is how you test your market value. It first happened at around the £200 mark, I recall. Your fee can increase again as your talk improves and your reputation grows. I found that private schools were more likely to have the flexibility of timetable to incorporate external speakers than a state school, as well as perhaps a tradition of such events. They were also more likely to have funds to pay a speaker although even when I was giving talks for free, I got more positive replies from private schools than state schools. I also gave many talks at travel shows, cycling clubs, rotary groups and universities. These were often unpaid, but helped me grow my audience. I sold quite a lot of books after these events, typically to about 20% of the attendees. Not only was this a good boost to my income, it also generated new readers, potential new followers and helped increase the number of people who knew about me and might one day hire me for a talk, gift my book or tell a friend in the pub about my newsletter. I phoned up travel exhibitions at venues like Earl's Court and Excel in London. I asked whether they had any unsold, unwanted, tiny, out-of-the-way display stands that they might allow me to fill with my photographs, bicycle and charming sales patter. It would look better than an empty booth. My girlfriend sneakily printed off some of my photos in A3 on her office colour printer. I bought some blue tack and pedalled off to pedal myself. Those events were ridiculously exhausting and soul-destroying. I talked to an endless stream of passers-by about my adventures, handing out stacks of homemade flyers. I'm not sure those shows resulted in many talk bookings, but my attitude was that you never knew when you might get your lucky break. You've got to put yourself out there and then hope for the best. Slowly but steadily, my diary began to fill up, charging £400 for a talk now or £500 for a full day of talks. I learned that it's far better to speak only to a single year group rather than the entire school. If you talk to everyone, you won't be invited back for five years. But do an excellent job with year 10 and you'll become a fixture in the annual calendar for years to come. 
there is effectively an infinite number of year 10s or whatever age group appeals to you and you could earn a fair living for life speaking only to them. I had now reached a point whereby I had a sustainable income for as long as I was willing to tell the same tales over and over again. This is a key milestone for any working adventurer. Speaking in schools is a brilliant, brutal education for a speaker. If you're bad or boring, then the kids will be sure to let you know. On the other hand, once you learn how to hold a classroom pin drop silent, giving a keynote to a thousand executives is a piece of cake. You'd be surprised also how little you need to change the messaging or tone between the two groups. My next stage was to progress onto corporate talks for the blunt reason that I could earn a lot more per talk. I began hustling speaking bureaus, trying to get signed onto their books. These bureaus help clients find speakers for their events. It's a crowded and competitive world. Most agencies already have a surface of adventurers on their books. But with perseverance, I succeeded in getting a few speaking bureaus to take me on. I always tried to persuade someone from the agency to come and watch me speak. That's the best way of proving that you are good at what you do. All I had to do then was sit back and wait for the Ferraris to pile up in my driveway. Sadly not, alas. Merely being on a bureau's books does not guarantee talks. Some bureaus have not found me a single booking in more than a decade. But as you don't have to pay anything up front, it's worth trying to get taken on. Somehow, through luck, illness of another speaker or persistent pestering, an agency eventually puts you out for a talk. If you do that talk well, you might become flavour of the month and start getting multiple bookings from that agency. All is rosy until some young punk hustles their way in front of you in the pecking order and the phone calls dry up once again. In my case, getting established in corporate speaking mostly came from other avenues than the speaking bureaus. Cold calling never worked, nor did massive email mail shots. Word of mouth from other talks was vital, so I always preferred speaking to audiences of different companies rather than everyone from the same business. Parents who heard me speak at school events might book me to visit their company. Yet most inquiries came via clients finding me online through my own website. I began working with a speaking agent to help organise my talks. I've worked with Caroline for over a decade now and it's been an excellent relationship. Caroline gets a fixed 20% slice of whatever pie she can negotiate for each talk and she sorts out all the stuff I'm terrible at, discussing money negotiating contracts, gathering information I need before the briefing call, chasing deposits, etc. Whether or not you decide to have a speaking agent will depend on how comfortable you are handling those matters. Personally, I'll hand over almost any pie to get out of paperwork, awkward conversations about money and the time-consuming detail of bookings that goes on behind the scenes. My speaking fees increased dramatically thanks to Caroline's friendly demeanour and canny experience. I smartened up my website to look more professional. I made the speaking page very prominent. I began a concerted mission to get myself placed high on the Google search page when someone typed in phrases like motivational speaker adventurer, number two on Google, or heroic handsome speaker, <laughs> less successful. 
I spoke at a few events that I knew would produce a high quality online video of my talk, for example, TEDx, The Do Lectures and The Lost Lectures. These videos would be helpful for clients to watch when deciding whether to hire me for their events. As with all of my work, I preferred things being in my hands rather than in the hands of other gatekeepers. My website is one of the few areas I have total control over, a little bit of internet real estate all of my own. I spent years blogging regularly to build up content, establish a reputation, grow an audience and make myself noticeable to anyone rummaging around for somebody suitable for their speaking event. I focused on topics that would be relevant and helpful for corporate teams. How could adventures be helpful, instructional or motivational for a school or business audience? I repeated all these steps for many years and finally have become comfortably busy with speaking events. It sounds weird to me that I'm now a professional motivational speaker. It is a phrase that makes me cringe. Yet, when I do it well, it can feel like a worthwhile, useful craft to have dedicated myself to. Quick question. Do you ever speak for free? I'm often asked to speak for free. It's a conundrum faced by speakers, writers and photographers, yet not for some reason by dentists, electricians, farriers or anyone else with a job. Here's how I approach this issue. By all means, do as many free talks as possible in the service of causes you care about. Charities, scout groups, whatever. For years, I had a pro bono page on my website explaining that I gave 10% of my talks for free. This also helped me say no with a clearer conscience to numerous requests. Don't feel bad about declining invitations for unpaid work when they plead poverty yet come from ludicrously wealthy schools or businesses. I'd recommend sending a polite reply rather than the sarcastic withering response you're tempted with. Feel free to pass on invitations when the offer in return is good exposure rather than payment. This is a really common way in which people try to get you to work for free. Yet, do also consider speaking for free at events where there will be sufficiently good exposure to make it worth your while, if you need exposure at the time. For example, I'm usually more inclined to do unpaid talks when the video will live for a long time on the web and reach a wide audience there. Whenever you're speaking for free, look around the venue and ask yourself, is anyone else here doing their best work for zero pay? Are you being compensated sufficiently by the learning experience, the contacts or the audience? If not, you're a chump. If you are still in doubt over what to do, consult the website www.shouldiworkforfree.com, which will help you reach an appropriate decision. Quick question two. I've been asked to speak at my child's school about an expedition I went on, but I'm terrified. Do you have any advice? Fear of speaking in public, glossophobia, is apparently even more common than a fear of heights. I am often more nervous before speaking to an audience of children than adults, and with good reason. Losing control of an audience of youngsters is alarming and demoralising. A quick tip, if they start chatting or fidgeting, don't try to talk more loudly. Instead, talk more quietly. Better still, stop talking altogether. Wait for their inevitable surprised silence, then continue. 
So don't underestimate how hard it is to speak well for children. But also, don't forget the joy of an interested audience, the impact of connecting deeply with children at a formative age, and the exuberant, delighted responses you may earn. You'll get more howls of delight, gasps of astonishment and whooping applause at a Monday morning assembly than at any corporate conference. Don't waste this opportunity to inspire an audience desperate to do something unique with their lives. Someone in that room will never forget your visit. Quite probably, it will be a young person who's not a traditional success at schoolwork. So make it good. That's a heck of a privilege and responsibility.